Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their travel trailer, which they have nicknamed Bessie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past few years, they have been filming a documentary entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds and the Need for Biodiversity, which will be coming out this fall. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. I don't know about you, but I am exhausted. This year has been absolutely fraught with one thing after another, and we're kind of running out of things that life can throw at us. Humans have been very busy this year. The political scene is a mess, and there are wars and famines and strife and diseases run rampant, and I just don't mean COVID either. Whether or not things hit the press with as much attention as they used to get, there are things that would have hit the front page of the news in previous times that are relegated to the page four or five section these days. Mother Nature is kind of ticked off at us as well lately, and not in the slightly grumpy way, but in the rampaging Jurassic Park T-Rex kind of way. It seems likely that only so many people are going to make it off Isla Nublar this time, with or without the theoretical mathematicians helping us to make informed decisions. Okay, so yes, I am a movie net. Jurassic Park. Just as a little side note here for all of you who took the shortcut and saw the movie but didn't read the book, spoiler alert, in the film version, things turn out a little rosier for Ian Malcolm's character, that's the theoretical mathematician specializing in chaos theory. In Crichton's literary version, one of the most ironic themes was that Dr. Malcolm, the guy who was using science and logic to urge caution, he was one of the characters who actually got killed off, and he couldn't come back to star in the sequel. Not that there are parallels to our current world and our scientists or anything in that statement. The second major irony from the book, but not the movie, was that the guy who started the whole ball rolling, Richard Attenborough, I mean Dr. Hammond, ended up as Dino Chow as well, instead of gazing ruefully at his grandkids in the helicopter shot in Spielberg's version. And again, the irony, he was killed off not by the big elephant, I mean T-Rex, in the room that everyone else might have been worried about most, but by the dinosaur equivalent of a flock of carnivorous chickens. So... In the book, the venture capitalist, the lawyer, and the mathematician all get killed off. I'll leave that one on the table for you so you can create your own jokes. But the reason I bring the movie up is that there's a great line in there, and it's said by Laura Dern. She plays the character of paleontologist Ellie Sattler. You can follow the links in our intro for more in-depth details on this one, but I'm going to give you a quote from fandom.com here for you. And it's in the spot where Ellie is talking to Dr. Hammond when everything's falling apart. They said, The turning point for Hammond in the film is when Ellie Sattler bluntly tells him that he never had control and that the only thing that matters now is the survival of the people they love. Now, that's as true a statement as can be said, in my opinion. We don't really ever have true control, even for the expected disasters. Nature is going to find a way to do what it will do regardless. So, how do we do that? survive, I mean. Can we make those odds go up at all? Yes, we can. And the key to that, so far as I understand it, is in the preparation. 
those that are prepared for what might hit the doorstep, whether or not it actually does, are the ones that will be most successful. Or forget successful, they're the ones that might have a better chance to make it out alive and functional if we're honest with each other. It's a hard thing to do, though, in any case, preparing for rampaging catastrophe. What's important? What's not? Did I pack my toothpaste? I can tell you that I've been in that waiting for evac space here in San Diego during our wildfires, and it's not fun. We had more than one summer lately where our bug-up bags are packed and sitting in the living room from May until Thanksgiving. And when fire season gets going, I start to have dreams where I imagine trying to stay calm while stuffing a car and figuring out the best route to the ocean, making sure to include all the important goodies. And then comes the part where I have to go do it with the eight chickens that I'll need to take with me. Yeah. Most of our chickens will sit on our laps and cuddle, but I have two that might be like that alley chicken catching scene in Rocky if I ever had to put them in the crate. Everything else will have to be ready to go if it ever comes to that, because the panic poultry moment might take a little bit of time to overcome. If we had more livestock and I had to do that with a thousand pound animal that's a little panicked by smoke and fire, I imagine that life would get quite a bit more complicated. But there's help. Today, we're bringing you an interview with Julie Atwood, the founder of The Halter Project, who we met at the Donkey Welfare Symposium last year. She started this with training for first responders, but it's broadened quite a bit over time. She's helping animals to survive emergencies and disasters, but does so by preparing those on the people's side of the equation. That's a really good thing, because it's becoming more and more likely these days that a cow might get stuck in the mud in the Mississippi floods, or a wildfire in the Napa Valley region in California will require mass equine evacuations, or people in eastern Oklahoma might have to grab their three dogs and two cats and run for the tornado shelter until it's safe to come out. And how do you prepare for that kind of thing? We make lists for all of the things that people need, but what about animals? And that is what Julie does. And it makes sense to train the first responders, because how the heck do you safely pull a horse out of a well anyway? I don't know that they cover that in the basic training course when you sign up as a fireman or a policeman or an EMT, but you might actually hit that in your career as an emergency person these days. Dr. Malcolm's character in Jurassic Park is a mathematician specializing in chaos theory, which is an apt parallel for what's going on right now whether it be in the studies of human behavior or that of nature. We don't completely understand it, and the only thing we can predict is that it will be unpredictable. If you understand that particular home truth, life gets easier and in a big way. The only thing we can do at this point to make ourselves feel better about our lack of control is to learn more and to prepare for the worst. Not because the worst is going to happen, but because it might. And because in times like these, being ready for whatever might arrive to the best of our ability is something that might give us some comfort. Prepare, not only to keep yourself busy so you won't have to think about the big thing looming. Prepare like your life depends on it, because it often does. Here's Julie Atwood to help us do just that. I'm Julie Atwood. Okay. And I'm the founder of the Halter Project. What is the Halter Project? The Halter Project does two things. We started in 2013 as a program that was focused on training first responders to assist large animals, particularly equines, cattle, 
in local emergencies, so things where animals get stuck and have to be pulled off the edge, or trailer accident, or animals who've fallen into a hole, or just an old horse maybe who can't get up. And very quickly, that program became successful, and we expanded to include community members and realized that people not only didn't know very much about how to prepare for an emergency or what to do, but they had no idea of what to do in a disaster. So we now have two programs, one focused on training first responders to handle animals in local emergencies, and the other is community outreach and education, communicating to the public how to be better prepared for disasters with an emphasis on animals. Well, that's a, that's a mouthful. Exactly. <laughs> no, but that's how we found you because you had a table at the symposium uh, conference center and it had all of the different implements and lists and checklists and, and I thought that was fantastic because it had anything having to do with an emergency that you might not want to think of five minutes ahead of the emergency. Well, thank, thank you for stopping by and thank you for noticing. And yeah, what happened is that we started going to events and also producing events that focused on emergency and disaster preparedness for animals, all kinds of animals, from the little ones all the way to the great big ones. And we realized that usually we are the only people at any given event with any type of disaster preparedness information. So I expanded my arsenal of, or my library of materials to include basically something for everybody. So animals are like the carrot. You know, if you, we all know we should have a ready kit. We all know that we should have emergency supplies. But do we do it for ourselves? Not always. Do we do it? for someone else or something that's really important to us. Yes, will we do it for our grandmother, for our children, uh, for our pets, for our horses? Yes. So now a lot of my friends tell me, well, in the last fire, the last flood, I ran out without any underwear or reading glasses and I didn't have any cash, but I had my dog's ready kit or I had my horses or my donkey's ready kits. So that's really what we're trying to do is get people to be aware of all the things that can happen and just try to be as prepared as possible. Now in the rest of the country we're used to things like tornadoes and floods and even though they've gotten quite a bit more common unfortunately than they had before and we've got all kinds of things we didn't think of before. But in California where it used to be 72 and sunny year round it's not really like that and especially with the fire problem that we have now it's chronic. What kind of a response have you seen from people and what kind of things do, would you recommend for people to have with them and be, to be ready for, to prepare for a fire or another disaster? You know, you, you just nailed it um, in that the rest of the country is, for the most part, way, way, way ahead of California even though we live with the constant threat of earthquakes. I think earthquakes are just so big, we all just, you know, we have those blinders on. But we were slow to, to catch on. We lived in, I think, a state of false security. And in the last few years, nature has definitely given us a whole bunch of wake-up calls. We've had a lot of big, um, big drills. And so, ready for whatever. I wish I had one of my bags to give to you today. So one of our, one of our fun taglines and um, a tote bag and some banners that we use actually say, ready for whatever. What I tried to do was make preparedness and, pre and pre 
emergency and disaster planning and awareness fun, you know, if you can put those concepts together in your brain. My day job is event planner, so, you know, I bring the fun, I bring the great food, I bring the prettiness. I wanted to bring that way of thinking to planning. You, know, you go to government emergency fairs, and God bless them for doing it, but, you know, they're kind of dull, they look very corporate, it's the same stuff. So, we tried to reach out to people by bringing really interesting speakers, um, presenting a different way of thinking, look at all the different things that can happen. And along the way, I've been doing this for six years, I learned a tremendous amount from uh, government resources, from institutions like University of California at Davis, um, Colorado State, Florida State, Texas A&M, places where I have friends who work with animals and the community and have been developing better and better and better ways of educating people for, for preparedness. So I think I lost sight of your, your question. Um, you know what, I was... realized it was an incredibly broad question with <laughs> what would one prepare for, but I think the more effective... Everything. <laughs> yeah, every, that's about it. So, so if somebody wanted to find some of the checklists that you had, because there, there are pages and pages of things that you might think about, mm -hmm. but a page of things that you must yeah. think about, where would they go? Give me your contact information. Do you have a website? We do, and you know, there is so much stuff, and I learned that. It was really hard to know, where do I go to get this information? That's what propelled me to ramp up the Halter Project and move beyond our focus of training first responders. So it's to try to create, I won't say one-stop shop, because there'll never be one place to go for everything for everybody in the world, but we really try to develop a trustworthy, easy to use, very broad spectrum resource library so that our followers who are all across the state, the country, and around the world would have a place to go. And a lot of the information is consistent no matter what your emergency, what your disaster, where you live. There are certain things that are always going to be consistent. So our website, which is halterproject.org, has a ton of information. We're constantly working to make it easier to use and make things easy to find because we do have a lot. But if you go to our website, you can look at our menu and you might choose preparedness resources or training and education or how can I become a volunteer. So choose your topic, go to that place, and then start scrolling down. Okay. It's like spending time in the library. So that's that's fantastic. This, a lot of those forms will be on the website. Mm -hmm. We have okay. lots. Wonderful. We have documents. We yeah. have links to other people's resources. And I think one of the things that you asked about was our Barn and Ranch Disaster Action Plan binder. So we actually have that, which is our big binder for people who live in rural environments. And we also have a smaller one, the home and pet preparedness binder. And if you use Dropbox, we can send you a link to a shared Dropbox so you can download the entire thing. Or if you want us to just kind of cherry pick and send you a few selected documents, you can do that. So okay. however much or however little you have the time and the energy for, we want to help. Fantastic. Okay. Now the the one thing I do want to ask that you can't get from the website, you are here at an equine event. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we found when we had the fire, that we had horrible, horrible fires in San Diego. Yeah. Well, we consistently had them. But what does one do 
when you have an animal that you may or may not usually trailer. If you have three horses and one trailer that usually keeps two horses, or you have 20 goats and you really only have enough trailer for five because that's all you ever take around with you, and you have to get them out. So I, I am an equine owner and we have a ranch and that's actually what propelled me um, to learn as much as I could and to actually join ultimately as a this month five animal disaster response teams that I am a, a trained member of. So I'm a disaster service worker in the animal sector. So what do you do if you have animals that can't be loaded for whatever reason? Number one is to always make sure that you have multiple plans for anything that, that might happen. And certainly evacuation is one way to go, but it's not always going to be possible. So having only one plan, especially if that one plan is evacuation, that's not your safety net. You need to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And if you have animals that you know are not going to, to load, you're not going to be able to take them somewhere, then you absolutely have to do everything you can to create what fire service calls a safe refuge and what we basically call our safe place or defensible space. So you have to do everything possible to make the animals home a safe place for them to ride out whatever is happening. So we're talking about fire right now. It's September. Fire is going on on both ends of the state. Um, we were at ground zero of the October 2017 fires ourselves. So that means that easiest thing to do is download the CAL FIRE. I don't work for CAL FIRE, I don't work for a government <laughs> agency, but download the CAL FIRE Ready for Wildfire app that gives you a step-by-step self-assessment. You can walk around your property. It's just like having CAL FIRE there with you doing a site inspection, which is something else that we strongly recommend. But if you haven't done that before, you're probably not going to get anybody right now because they're busy. So download the Ready for Wildfire app and start looking around your property and make sure that you have a safe place for your animals to be where fire can't hurt them. Make sure that you have a really, really uh, strong and reliable and accessible water supply. And you know, even if we're not looking at a fire or a storm, we are also looking at extended power outages now, planned and unplanned. And those power outages in areas like where you live and where I live, they could last anywhere from five to 10 or 12 days. Um, we're in a place where we're probably gonna be without power when the power company, when the utility shuts it off for 10 to 12 days. So know exactly how much water you need per animal. One of the things that I had out yesterday was a poster that tells you exactly how much each species needs, starting with us, the humans, and going all the way down to That's your fantastic. chickens and your yeah. rabbits. Um, and equines require more water than anything else. They can go for several days without food, but they cannot be without water for more than 10 to 12 hours. They need a lot of water. Now, all of this is on the website. It is. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so thank much. You. This is a great thing. I mean, this is a whole topic be... you could do. <laughs> it well, is. No, but, but it's true. This is our new reality, isn't it? It is. So better yeah, prepare it for is. it. Well, yeah. thank you. This is, I hope we'll help a lot of people listening. Thanks very much. Thank wonderful. you. Thank you, guys. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please ask your friends to join us. 
please also feel free to post any comments or questions to our social media sites. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Backyard Green Films. We love to bring you this podcast every week. We visit places all across the country and even a few places outside the U.S. We'd love to keep doing this as long as we can, but holy cow, gas is expensive. So, we've started up a Patreon account. If you'd like to help be a part of the stories you hear, we'd love your support, feedback, and suggestions. If you'd like to make that financial support, please follow the Patreon links in our podcast intro for more information. Every little bit is another mile we can put on the road to bring you the conversations we hope you enjoy. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. We would like to thank Julie for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more information about Julie and the Halter Project, please visit her website at halterproject.org. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. For more information and more important links about emergency preparedness, please follow the links attached with this podcast. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, All Rights Reserved.